How you doing? I'm pretty good. Um, but I've been something's really been bothering me. Um, I've been wondering if if I needed to for business purposes, um, if I'd be able to meet your wife for lunch somewhere. Do I have to ask your permission for that? <laughs> no idea where that was going. I, Thomas, I don't know if, if it's okay for you to meet alone with a woman uh, behind closed doors. W- will there be doors open? Or or in public, like at a restaurant. Maybe a Starbucks or something. Maybe a Starbucks, yeah. <laughs> but then people might think, like, you. They, she right. was cheating on you and I'm cheating on my wife. Yeah, well, I mean... They, they and then we obviously just would cool. be... Right, because there's no way that two adults can interact in, you know, a non-sexual way. No. Yeah. And and then you know if if uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to go what to go off of that. So the, what's that called? The Billy Graham rule? Yeah, it's the it's Billy the, Graham rule, which is. Um, I was making. I was going to make a joke about being bisexual or something, but. Not that either one of you are. I'm just thinking, you know, like, there's jokes just naturally flow. Right, exactly. Can I be with anyone ever? Full stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's the Billy Graham rule, which has been, you know, a bunch of people have been talking about because apparently Mike Pence follows this Billy Graham rule. Oh, that's right. That's right. And the Bob Jones rule, where you have to keep, like, your door open if if you have a girl. No, you can't even. You can't even have a girl. No, in, you can't have a girl in your dorm. And I don't know what what the rules are at Bob Jones now, but it used to be. I mean, not that long ago that especially um, when she was a black girl. That uh, girls and guys had to walk on different sidewalks at Bob Jones, right? Really? No. Isn't that right? Maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm completely wrong. Can but you I touch know her that she was menstruating. Well, that that would obviously be right out. <laughs> can Can you wear two different types of woven cloth? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I knew you couldn't bring a girl back to your dorm room if you're a guy, or vice versa. But do they? Yeah, I guess they do let women at Bob Jones. But and they had like dating rooms, but you had to keep the door open or something. And there were like observers, which is kind of voyeuristic. I gotta get celebrated about that. Hey, puppies. Yeah. About you know voyeuristic uh, people who who sign up to to do that job. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's one thing to be an RA. It's one thing to sign up to be the you know the, the dating the dating patrol yeah <laughs> like i'm not gonna bust anybody tonight come on come on, come on. yeah anyway <laughs> yeah so basically basically the billy graham rule um supposedly was him saying uh, i'm not ever going to meet alone with a woman who's not my wife i'm not going to drive in a car alone with her i'm not going to have a meal with any woman um and this supposedly goes back to some time after uh, one of his crusades, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna and he went into his hotel mind. room, and there is a naked woman there trying to seduce him to ruin his ministry. Maybe I just, I don't know. I'd never heard that before today, um, but that just reeks of apocrypha, right? It's got to be apoc- apocryphal. Um, and his rule that he instituted wouldn't have prevented such a situation anyway. Here we go. On October 24th, 1948... <laughs> Who puts this in their journal? Uh, Billy, <laughs> Billy Graham began a series of evangel- evangelistic meetings in Modesto, California. Graham was a couple of weeks shy of his 30th birthday. 
He was with his close friends and, quote, associates, George Beverly Shea, age 39, and Grady Wilson, age 29, and Cliff Barrows, age 25. They were lodging, if you will, at a motel on South 9th Street in Modesto. In November, Graham initiated initiated discussion with the men about problems they had witnessed among other evangelists, actions that had undermined the integrity of the gospel message, revealed hypocrisy, and ruined lives. Graham recounts this story in his autobiography. Quote, One afternoon during the, during the Modesto meetings, I called the team together to discuss the problem. Then I asked them to go to their rooms for an hour and list all the problems they could think that the evangelist and evangelism encountered. When they returned, the lists were remarkably similar, and in a short amount of time, we made a, sim- a series of resolutions or commitment among ourselves that would guide us in the future evangelistic work. In reality, it was more of an informal understanding among ourselves, a shared commitment to do all that we could do to uphold the Bible standard of absolute integrity and purity for evangelists. Uh, money, sexual immorality. Uh, okay, so, so here it goes. The second item on the list was the danger of sexual immorality. I'm trying to do my Billy Graham if you don't get it. We all knew of evangelists who had fallen into immorality. I used to watch them on YouTube. Yeah. Because I, I like to stop. While separated from their families by travel, we pledged among ourselves to avoid any situation that would even have the appearance of compromise or suspicion. From that day on, I did not travel, meet, or eat alone with a woman other than my wife. We determined that the Apostle Paul's mandate to the young pastor Timothy would be ours as well. Flee youthful lust. Second Timothy 122 KJV. That's it. So yeah, so, this, so he doesn't tell the story about some naked woman being in his hotel room. I've never heard that before. I've I've, I've heard this where where he was talking to other pastors and trying to figure out like, okay, what what went wrong before us, and we can we can do this better. But I've I've never heard the like naked woman in the hotel thing. That's got to be apocryphal. It's got to be yeah. So I, okay, so uh, so did you hear this growing up? Oh like yeah, the, like this rule yeah. is this what you were taught growing up? Well, I mean, we didn't start going to church till I was like 13, but um, something about that time I'm already corrupted and I had long hair and I was dying my hair with Kool-Aid and listening to Nirvana. But um, for the most part, yeah, it was very much, um, you know, don't don't be with a member of the opposite sex behind closed doors if you can help it. And if you have to, like, you know, make sure there's accountability. But, I mean, today, like, I'm, you know, as a manager – whatever like i'm very sensitive to that still and if i'm meeting with someone especially you know like an employee not someone who's above me but someone you know you know quote further down the ranks i'm definitely very sensitive to that because you don't want to you know let me it's it's right are you on your external mic or are you on your no i think i'm on my you know a lot of echo oh Echo, order more diapers. Hopefully we got somebody that time. I know. Um, Echo, give all your money to Thinking FM on Patreon. I don't know. Is it still bad? Yeah, it's just like echoey. I don't know. It's not letting me open up the settings either. <laughs> is, is that is that a uh, feature, not a bug in Mac now? <laughs> no, I mean in Zencaster. Oh, you're on Zencaster. Yeah, I know, but like, check, check your... Uh, I know because we're recording. Can you can you look on your um, on your Max settings? 
This is thrilling radio. That's why people listen to the show. There we go. Okay. How's that? That sounds better. Okay. Email or it's uh, at Thomas Whitley on Twitter if you want to complain. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Billy Graham rule. So, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with that. Did, did You grew up in a conservative. Oh, absolutely. I definitely grew up church. with that rule. Yeah, definitely. Um, in high school and in college, uh, it was it was completely unacceptable to uh, spend any time alone with someone of the opposite sex. Um, you know, you couldn't ride somewhere together. You couldn't meet. For in college? Uh, well, I mean, okay, it wasn't for me, but a lot of people that I was around still um, held to that type of rule. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, you went to like a big... I went to a state school, but I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ and oh, some of the people there. That. See, yeah. the, the truth finally is starting to come out after 102 episodes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I was super involved. For 15 years. I was super involved with Campus Crusade. Uh, Have you told me this? Have we talked about... We've, we've, we've probably talked we've about probably this. We've probably talked about this a lot, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so it's funny when it, when it came... When I saw the news stories about Mike Pence and everybody freaking out about it and all this stuff and the people that didn't know that this is still a thing and then people that do talking about it and giving their perspective, all this stuff kind of came flooding back to me that I haven't thought about in years because I, I am sensitive of, um, you know, different power dynamics and things like that. But like I have a ton of friends who are females that I would not think twice about, um, you know, going to their house. Choose and, your words. Choose your words. Yeah, I don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, they're they're people, just like other people. Um, you know, I do think about not wanting to put someone in a situation that would make them uncomfortable. <laughs> I, but I'm, really not, I'm not laughing at. I know what you're saying. It, it's just it's it's crazy. We have to have this conversation. You know, because this you know, th- yes, this does hurt females especially like in the professional world because right well you can't come in and talk to the male manager and close the door and and really let your feelings out like the male employees can because you know we don't want to you know make sure you don't talk about the 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 sexual organs um or or not only that but like when you think about you know females in, in positions of leadership like getting to those positions of leadership oftentimes Oftentimes that that includes like closed door meetings or just the ability to have a one on one without feeling like oh well you know let me check this box to make sure that right or you know yeah, like have a have a business dinner with somebody yeah 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 um I I don't I mean there are, so people have been pointing out all day the uh, you know the problems with this right it's obviously a problem uh, in business settings it's it's obviously kind of um, dehumanizing to women as a whole but it's also kind of dehumanizing to men too right yeah totally because it makes us out to be sexual predators and we can't control ourselves or our penises right so it's like all men can do is like if they're alone in a room with a woman they're obviously going to you know try to have you know sexual intercourse with her i mean it's just it's, it's just kind of crazy and it i don't know i mean we don't have it's to interesting though, it, it, but it's interesting in this article that that we get this mythology of oh yeah there was a naked woman on his hotel bed when you know in his autobiography he doesn't talk about that right I mean if there was and that I mean yeah that's one thing but like 
if he was just trying to figure out, you know, what sunk battleships in the past, oh, it was, you know, the, the, the notion of sexual impropriety, so I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that. Not saying that's right, but, you know, I, I can see some, like, a person taking that stance and, and making right. that. Their, yeah, but that's different from that, then making it a blanket rule for everyone. Right. 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 I mean, so, so I mean, I, I never took very fondly to this, even when, um, even, even in, when I was a completely different type of person. Um, because my thought was always, you know, people would say, well, you know, if you're out, you know, having coffee with, you know, somebody that you're not dating or that's not your, you know, your wife, it's, I wasn't married at the time, but then, you know, people might think that you're, that you're like dating that person or cheating on the person you're with. And I was, my response was always, so? Like that's that's completely on them and what they think, right? That has nothing to do with me. Why am I worried about that? And I know this whole, you know, the comeback would always be, well, you have to be above reproach. And I don't know. I just, um, I don't spend any time concerning myself with what other people think. And, you know, if other people, you know, it's always kind of like the, what's the little cliche saying? I think it actually fits here quite well. Um, uh, what is it? I can't think of it. You know, it's like, um, Basically, small minds think about people, something like that. Um, but, you know, like they don't have anything else to do, anything better to do than to think about what somebody else might be doing because they saw them in some situation that they're going to twist out of context. That So I don't care. Like that doesn't affect me at all. I don't know. It just so it never really set well with me then. And um, you know, I certainly don't think about it in those contexts anymore in my relationships with anybody. But I think the article does bring up a good point that you, you know, you brought up a little earlier about, you know, people that are bisexual or people that are gay, right? Should, should a, should a male pastor, uh, not meet with a gay man in his office? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of male pastors in my current geopolitical situation of Columbia, South Carolina would say no, (laughs) Just outright, because you know, right? Gay people are going to hell anyway, so they're irredeemable. Well, um, and there's also this kind of myth that. connected with that, right? That that all, mm-hmm. um, you know, all gay men are sexual predators, and uh, yeah, there's that as well. So, I mean, there's just so many ways that this is um, a really kind of problematic uh, worldview. I mean, it's one thing for one person to say this is the this is you know how I'm going to choose to make decisions. Uh, I still think that maybe the base of it is not something I would agree with, but um, you know, I didn't grow up with people saying, "Hey, Billy Graham chose to do this so that he could live his life above reproach." I grew up with people saying, "You should not do this because if you do, then people are going to think bad things about you, and that's going to hurt your witness for Christ." Well, and it's funny because I think Christ got in trouble quite often for cavorting with women of. You know, repute. Character. <laughs> right. I was going to say yeah. repute, but I mean, you know, Mary Magdalene right. was not a prostitute or whatever, right. but yeah. she wasn't the woman who was, you know, whatever. Um, but but we, we like to cast that aspersion because of my sixth century uh, sermon. And I, I think... <laughs> they're really upset about that. They're really big fans of Mary of Magdala. So. As we are. I mean, you know, I, I think our show's theme is, is very complimentary of the Magdalene the Holy Magdalene as Dan Brown would say yeah um, <laughs> I, I, I realized I'm old the other day I was, I was talking to somebody about something with related to this and I said something about yeah you know it's kind of like in a Dan Brown novel and they're like what it's like ah 
don't don't do that anyway <laughs> so uh <laughs> it, yes but I, I think it's a fascinating that that we have this sort of um uh, legendary thing about Billy Graham walking in, into his motel room and there being a naked woman on his bed. But I think it's also fascinating that we as men hold Billy Graham up to be some kind of paragon of masculine witness. And like, right. that's who we need to be. And if, if you're someone like, I mean, I, I don't want to call people out, but like Perry Noble, you know, New Hope. I mean, I, yeah, no, New Spring, sorry. New Spring here. My wife's at New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> that's <Oops>. funny. <laughs> I'll take that out and post. Um, the pastor knew I was amazing. She, uh, definitely best pastor I've ever um, have, have, have had the pleasure to share my bed with. I mean, my uh, life with. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the pastor at New Spring, uh, which is a, a major evangelical church movement thing here in, in South Carolina, um, he kind of had a fall from grace last year and, you know, came out, there was all sorts of things and he resigned from his church and now he's, he's bouncing back and he's, preaching at uh, Elevation uh, Church up in in Charlotte and mm-hmm. but but still like there were all sorts of when he had that fall there were all sorts of sort of accusations I saw flying in our little community here about like well did he did he sleep with this lady did he do this did right. he do that and so much of that I think comes from this sort of Mike Pence idea that like well, if you're if you're actually going to take up your cross and follow Jesus and go out there and, and cavort with Mary Magdalene, then you're going to open yourself up to accusations that you're you're you know being a party goer and you're glutton or you're you're full of gluttony and and you drink too much wine and you're hanging out with you know the prostitutes, which you don't you don't really want to do that as a Christian. But the founder of Christianity, who we hold up as a you know, Messiah actually did. Yeah, well, let's not get too, something. you know, too technical. Not, I don't want to say founder of Christianity because that was Paul, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, so, you know, it also kind of strikes me as this, um, uh, you know, it has connections with kind of muscular Christianity as well, right? This idea that um, kind Sorry, of like... I, take a, I had to take a pull on my maker's mark after that comment. <laughs> but so, <laughs> the, 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 but I like masculinity to... is kind of, um, not only that you have like, men like Billy Graham who are paragons of masculinity, but the masculinity itself is like a paragon of godliness. Exactly. And, and I, I want to hear your take on this, and we don't have to do that tonight. That's what Billy Graham said. Uh, but I want to hear your take on that in terms of that kind of muscular muscular masculinity Christianity thing. Because I, I didn't go through that, and I think you had more exposure to that like in the 90s, but that was definitely a thing. And so I think... You know, people like us who are like age 30 to 40 to 50, you know, like white males and kind of this current age of, of Christianity. Like we definitely had that as a, as a major formative part of our spiritual development. Um, I know I did in, in, you know, kind of side glancing ways. But I, I imagine like was that a big part of, of your upbringing yeah so you actually see it kind of come through um really interestingly at least early on through like the ymca for instance um but yeah it was i mean there was obviously a significant portion of it um of my upbringing that was 
about being kind of a, a godly man and you had groups like promise keepers and things like that and you know the the speakers oh, right. keepers, yeah. yeah the speakers that would come to some of these events that i would go to like they basically wouldn't talk about the bible or god or jesus um until the last five minutes of their hour-long talk and the other 55 minutes would be about them hunting big game in africa or something like that right just it's like you can be godly by being more manly um, and it's, it's this kind of weird, um, like really poor marketing way to try to reach men, you know? I, I, so, I mean, there's, there's that aspect of it too, but it does kind of ultimately come back to, um, the idea that, that God should be understood as masculine, um, which is obviously problematic. Um, but you, you know, you, you get people now like John Piper who will say, um, basically, yeah, God is masculine and God is not feminine. So um, we should talk about God in masculine terms. And, and it's not a far um, step from that to say that, well, then that means that the masculine is um, superior to the feminine. Right. And then you tie that with you tie that with the stuff like uh, that gets connected to Mary Magdalene and the, you know, the kind of femme fatale aspect and just the idea that women in and of themselves are, um, I don't know, like this, this um, not just an object of lust, but a um, kind of a producer of it, too. Right. Yeah, they, exactly. By their very existence, they are they are um, causing men to lust, and they and just their very existence is a temptation for men. Well, and and that's what the original sin was. You know, it wasn't you know knowledge or something like that. It, it, it's the sexual knowledge. It's it's the awareness that hey, we're naked, and uh, you know that that knowledge implies that. Um, you know, we know each other in the biblical sense and, and, you know, I mean, that's where that saying comes from. Um, and the idea that, that, you know, it was the woman's fault. And if she hadn't, you know, listened to the damn snake and taken the, the apple, we'd be all good. And we didn't, we didn't, we didn't even like apples. Like what, you know, well, well why did she do that? Because she's weak. Right. It wasn't the man. I mean, you know, the man was like out doing what God wanted him to do, which is hang out and, you know, enjoy some Bob Marley in the garden and walk around and chill. Right. So it's interesting, right? Because you get, um, like in First Timothy, for instance, right? Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Right, so you already like you, you know, I mean obviously yeah you get the blame casting going on in Genesis but you also kind of the early stages of the you know the for late first early second century church you get this um, blame being leveled again and this time um, as justification for why men can be in certain leadership roles right and so it's kind of not a whole lot has changed since then but there is right I mean I, you have to give I mean you have to give them this they're the men who would who would say things like this are they're not wrong when they say that this is what the Bible, you know, at least some portions of the Bible um, would call for. Well, I mean, exactly, and and it, you know, it, Eve was the mother of all the living, which implies she's the mother of all the dead as well, because 
before, like there was no life and death and, you know, everything kind of seemed like it, it was going to be kind of this eternal existence within the garden. And once we get kicked out of the garden, which is the woman's fault, um, Eve becomes the mother of the living. It's going to be a painful childbirth and it's her fault. So therefore, since she's the mother of the living, she's the, the mother of the dead as well. Right. <clears throat> and in the Hebrew, that's a little more clear, but just that, that notion of, of guilt and blame is, is something that it's fascinating when you see it carry over into politics or. Right, so that's, yeah. So that's, that's my question then. How does, okay. So, you know, like I saw somebody tweet today, if, if there's ever a time that, you know, Mike Pence can, do something negative for women, he will do it or something like that. Right. Because he, um, he cast the tiebreaker vote today, um, in the Senate on what was it? Was it LGBTQ protections? I don't remember now, but, um, how does, you know, what does that do for uh, our nation when you have somebody who's vice president who views women in the way that he does? I mean, I, I don't, you know, I'm certainly not saying that Mike Pence has a particular animus for women, and he certainly would not say that he does, I would imagine. Um, but, you know, a lot of his policies don't seem to be very pro-women. Um, so, I mean, how does that how does that affect our nation? What do you, I mean, like... Like, what, I mean, is that going to affect uh, policy, or... Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, how does that affect kind of the national narrative? Oh, it was the Planned Parenthood vote. That's what it was today. Uh, allowing, um, paving the way to allow states to um, take away funding from Planned Parenthood. Yeah. He cast the tiebreak vote in that uh, today. Oh, and it, there's going to be many more of those, you know. And and the the fact, and we, we've talked about him for, a, you know, a long, long time in terms of his uh, supposed views on religion and how that impacts his politics. And when he was named vice president, you know, you and I both said like, uh, Oh, like that could be <laughs> like really, you know, like what, whatever Trump does, like Mike Pence being vice president is, is potentially even more dangerous because of his, uh, his ideology, I guess. Yeah, that that doesn't necessarily represent the best interest of our country, but a very small subset of people from Indiana who, you know, got outruled by the Supreme Court. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, so you know, I just think like um, I don't think we've had a conversation like this before on the show, but how do you balance? Right for anyone, not just Mike Pence, but anyone kind of in in, a, in politics or in public life. How do you balance your own personal convictions with uh, your role as a public servant, and you know, um, and also the foundation of the separation of church and state, which um, I I think it's pretty safe to say Mike Pence does not. Um, view the same way that we would view it, for instance, that he would say that he believes in separation of church and state, but it would look a lot different for him than it would for us. Um, 
So what, what's maybe the best way or, or how should, how should people approach that? Right. So for instance, I'm, I'm thinking about how we're obviously, you know, a lot of people on the left are upset about, you know, something like this from Mike Pence, but a lot of people on the left were not upset about, um, things that Obama did that were kind of blatantly, um, rooted in his faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we tend to like the things that are rooted in, in, you know, in our faith from our politicians, but not the things that are rooted in the other guy's faith. Or, you know, even Hillary Clinton's, you know, Methodism. I'm not saying she was right. the most authentic Christian in the world, but, you know, she was able to quote the things like John Wesley's, you know, do all the good you can all the time you can type type thing. Whereas when Trump was asked, what's your favorite, favorite Bible verse? He came out with an eye for an eye. Yeah. And a tooth for a tooth, which is kind of alarming considering Jesus said, well, that's not... <laughs> not take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Yeah, yeah and, and Trump says he's a Presbyterian or Trump is a pres, you know, Presbyterian. Um, he keeps his copy of John Calvin's journals right beside his copy of Mein Kampf. <laughs> I was just about to say, on his bedside table right beside bedside his bedside table. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a difficult question, right? Which, which is why I would say um, the separation of church and state is that much more important. Because even if you can't address the uh, maybe, maybe motivations, right, um, behind someone pushing, pushing a certain policy or something like that, you can address uh, the functionality of policies and legislation. And um, so you can, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, so, it's so do you think it's going to swing? Do you think it's going to swing back the other way, where we go back to something like, um, you know, kind of a, a mainstream, moderate approach to governing? You know, where where it's it's not, uh, you know, a cabinet full of white males and a president who's white male, you know, all that stuff. Um, uh. You know. So yeah, I tend to think so. Maybe not in the short term, but in in the medium to uh, in the medium term, I do think yeah. I, I think people are going to say um, we've had enough of that, and then even even a lot of people who were pro let's kind of turn the system upside down. I think um, a lot of them are kind of quickly realizing oh, maybe I don't like this that much. And some that still do, I think, will um, they won't all come around, but I think that some will, and they'll say, "Okay, we did that. Things are really chaotic. It wasn't as great as I thought it was. Now I understand why. You know, we need the system, and we need, you know, career politicians may not be the actual devil, right? Maybe it's good to have experience in this thing that we're paying you to do. Um, but it, I, I don't know. I mean, it." it it seems to me that we get there only with kind of a, we get there quicker with a disgraceful uh, fall for Trump and some of those around him. I don't know. I I, I do wonder because I don't I don't think we're going to. Uh, I don't I don't think we're going to go back to a time you know that's that's pretty internet you know like there there is no contentious um 
I'm right, you're wrong mentality. You know, I think I, I think we, we've we've made the bed there. And if we try to get back to something that existed, you know, people keep saying, like, what, what's going to be Trump's Tip O'Neill moment? You know, like, when is he going to become President Reagan? Where he comes in as an outsider and realizes, well, you know, in order to get the things done that I want to get done, I have to make compromises with the Democrats. And it's going to take him a year or two. But eventually he's going to get there and Chuck Schumer is going to be there to, to hug him. And he's going to be Tip O'Neill. And Trump is going to be Ronald Reagan, and he's going to, you know, he's going to be the the, the president that we've always wanted. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, and I don't know if that happened if the public would want that because it's not 1982 anymore. Right. Well, I, I mean, so he is saying, right? I mean, because he's mad at some people in the Freedom Caucus um, in the Republican Party, he's saying, "Oh, well, I'm, you know, Democrats are going to come together with me, and we're going to pass a really great health care bill." Uh, that's not going to happen, right? Um, I mean, I've seen a few Democrats joking about, you know, let them call it Trump care. You know, basically, let's dress up single payer as Trump care and let them pass it. We can get on board with that. But that's not going to happen, right? Um, so, you know, Trump likes to talk like he can get anybody, he can make a deal with anybody. I mean, I think that's obviously being exposed as the ruse that it's always been uh, on on the international scale and, you know, and in, in quite embarrassing uh, fashion for a lot of us, but um, right. So what you and I were talking about today, there is no pivot, right? Everybody say, well, when's Trump? You know, Trump's going to pivot to the general election. Well, he never did. Well, he's going to pivot once he's inaugurated. Well, he obviously hasn't, right? So he's doubled down on campaign promises. So um, I mean, and he's made it very clear early on that um, he's the president of the people that voted for him. He has no desire in being the president of the whole country. So I, I think you're right. I don't think we're going to see that moment. And I think you're probably right, too, that um, at least right now there's not an appetite for that. But I would argue that there could be, but not with Donald Trump. Like There could be an appetite for um, some Democrats and Republicans coming together. I think there's an appetite for that. I don't think there's an appetite for any Democrats uh, coming together with Trump, not on the left. All right, so, I mean, post-Trump, what happens to the people that elected Trump as their president? What do, you, what do you mean? In what way? What do you mean what happens to them? I mean, they, they don't just go away and, you know, gerrymandering aside, whatever, like, he got the Electoral College votes. You know, so the Hillary Clinton voters in, in the U.S. can say, well, you know, that's only because North Carolina and Florida were gerrymandered that Trump was elected, but you know he won Wisconsin and Michigan and these states that we didn't think he was going to win. So say that Trump gets impeached or something happens to Trump or he doesn't win in 2020. <coughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm choking up here thinking about that. <coughs> what happens to those voters? I mean, they're still there, but I, I think you're already seeing, um, maybe not a lot, but you're seeing, I, I think, a significant portion of voters expressing regret already at having voted for Donald Trump. 
Uh, you're not, you're not, no, no. Yes, no. you're seeing some of that. You're definitely seeing some of that. I don't think it's to the scale that some people are presenting it as, but you're definitely seeing some of that. Uh, so I think, I think on the one hand, you have some regret. And like I said earlier, I think you have some people that say, okay, well, you know, we threw a wrench in the system and that was fun. Our voice was heard. Now let's like actually get back to policies that help us. Um, because they're, you know, a lot of what Trump is proposing to do um, will hurt the very people who voted for him. And um, that won't take long for people to realize, right? They want jobs. They're not getting jobs or things are getting worse in their, in their communities. Then um, they're going to look for somebody to blame. And that's, that's just common, right? It's what, it's what we always do. So um, I think, I don't think the American people as a whole have a problem turning on individuals, like into like individual politicians, right? Um, so, I mean, there are a few rare exceptions to that. Um, you know, Barack Obama still enjoys an immense amount of support from Democrats, but... But Congress doesn't, and we still right. have a, a number of incumbents who get elected every year, not because we have 50% approval rate of Congress. I mean, it's down no, in but the people don't like, people. People don't like Congress, but a lot of them like their particular... Uh, representatives in Congress. No, yeah. people don't right? like change. So, people don't like change. Well I, well, I would agree with that. People don't. People don't like change, which is why I think there's going to be kind of a reversion back to the mean, so to speak, of saying, "Okay, we threw this wrench in here. We, you know, had our change, and now let's get back to um, kind of some stability." Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Trump was brilliant with the whole "Let's make America great again" concept. And just getting that into the, the cultural right but you can the but the thing is can you recreate it and i don't think so no of course right? not, everybody thought you could recreate obama and you obviously couldn't recreate obama so you're not going to be able to recreate trump either and then the the thing yeah, but is saying, like but, but trump can create recreate trump in 2020 right well if he's still there home again or, but that's the whole that's the whole trick of the book like no you can't go home again but that doesn't mean that you you can't go home you know, and, and you can't create that existence. <laughs> you can't go home again, but that doesn't mean you can't go home. No, so I, I understand what you're saying, but I also think that by the time the if about? if Trump table. is still in if Trump is still in office and he runs for re-election in 2020, um, the idea that he is going to have the same amount of support that he had in 2016, I I just I don't I don't take that uh, because I also think that what you saw happen in 2016 was you had a number of Democrats that didn't like Hillary Clinton, that weren't willing to vote for her, that voted third party or stayed home. And a lot of people, they were just kind of apathetic because they didn't like either candidate. And I think you would have uh, a significant, no matter who is the Democrat on the ticket, hopefully they can pick somebody decent, but you would have a significant turnout for, of anti-Trump voters. All right. So who, who, so beats, the thing who, is, who, who can do that in 2020? Uh, who can do that? I don't know. Um, Cory Booker? Maybe. Maybe Cory Booker could do it. Um, maybe Julian Castro. I'd really like to see Julian Castro. I've been talking about it for a long time. Really want to see him, uh, you know, raise his national profile. Um, Do, does Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump in 2016 with Julian Castro on the ticket? Instead of um, Tim Kaine? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, 
I'm inclined to say yes, but I also think that I mean Hillary Clinton was her own kind of albatross, and albatross. Um, and you know the you know Castro may have actually heightened some of the anti-immigrant voting that Trump got. I, th- I think Tim Kaine was one of those situations where it was too safe of a choice. Right, but that's, I mean, that's par for the course, right, for Democrats. But, I mean, she was going to win Virginia regardless. Like, w- why Tim Kaine? Right, but it's like, oh, we have our own kind of um, conservative religious white guy too. Yeah, but he's not a con- – well, according to modern convention, he's not a conservative. Right, know, okay, he's, okay, he's okay not, not conservative. He's not a modern, modern sailor or whatever. Right, no, but his – but his um, – he's very general. open. He's Catholic, you know, which – which helps now. It obviously wasn't great, maybe for JFK, but it helps now. Uh, what's what's the line? Catholic. Definition of a modern major. What's what's the da 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 da? You know what I'm talking about. I'm the very definition of a modern major general. Yes. Yes. That's what it is. You gonna sing it for us? Um. So I mean, right? Kane is kind of we're we're gonna try to appeal to some religious voters. Because um, you have somebody who you know very devoutly Catholic, uh, very open about that, uh, who did speak Spanish, right? So they were trying to have this outreach to uh, the Hispanic community. Um, yeah, but I agree. I mean, very, very, very safe choice. Sorry, our nation's—it's our nation's largest uh, religious group. But I'm glad he's open about that. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag white privilege. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, sure. But it was still way too safe. Yeah, but but so my larger point is that yeah, okay, Trump could even Trump can't redo Trump twenty sixteen in twenty twenty. But in Russia, twenty sixteen redoes <laughs> you. Did you see Putin saying um, he was asked directly, did Russia or did he uh, interfere with the U.S. election? And he said, "Read my lips, <laughs> no." Because <laughs> yeah. like, that works well, so well. 41. You know, good old Vlad said it, so that settles it. I just think it's funny, you know, like George Bush, read my lips, no new tax laws. Right. Like if he had taken his shoe off and beat the desk with it and gone full Khrushchev, like that would have been <laughs> just perfect. Read my lips, no. But it was very convincing. And I'm sure like he stared Donald down across the desk and said, look, this is how it's going to go. And Donald said, okay. And he said, now go to your hotel room. I've prepared a surprise for you. <laughs> you it's called Billy. the Obama suite. <laughs> You're going to love it. Uh, it's going to be the best shower you've ever had. So they're talking about um, about source D, which was apparently the source <laughs> for that part of the dossier. Um <clears throat> This, I mean, we're getting, in front of the we're house getting to like historical Jesus level things with this dossier. You know, it's like it, it really is Q. You know, no, but so source D might be Q, right? But the dossier is like Matthew. Like, have so you have to figure out what comes from. Have we seen the full dossier? From... Yeah, I've seen it. I think I sent it to you the night it came out. Like they they've released the full dossier. Well, I'm pretty sure what I saw was the full dossier. <laughs> that's, that's what Thomas said. 
Yeah. Okay, so so we, we've got the full dossier. We pulled it out of the cave in Qumran, and you know we, we're looking at it now. And we're trying to we're trying to piece this together, and we're trying to figure out is a is it a reliable witness and or source, and does it feed into the other gospels that we have about President Trump? Right, but and there's so, always a good there's always a good uh, like discovery story, right? That involves like some Bedouin teenage boys. You know, the, the thing about the dossier, Thomas, there, there were like three times as many pages originally, but Vladimir got cold one night and he used them as fuel on his fire. And that's why cook. it just ends abruptly. That's so why it ends abruptly. They said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Exactly. And, and, they, and they said, you know what, this copper, this copper we can do more with than, than just make some, you know, like it's old. We, we can do some cool stuff with this copper. And that's why that's why we don't know what happens to the community. So the, uh, in the dossier, speaking of copper, there, there's all sorts of colorful anecdotes about things. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. But w- what were you going to say about the dossier? In I source, don't even know now. Source, you were talking about source D. <laughs> source D is apparently the yeah is apparently the the source for the most colorful part of the dossier. Can, can we call it the D source? Like the L source and the M <laughs> the source? The D source. That actually works well I mean, we on have, a number we, of we levels. Continuity. <laughs> um, but so the D source is supposedly, I mean, apparently what I heard today is, um, might testify in front of either the Senate or the House Intelligence Committee. Um, uh, yeah, I saw this. I saw this. So... Uh, the D source fed into the dossier and the dossier was written by the British intelligence guy. And, and he's going to interview with the intelligence committee too, correct? Yeah, I think so. And so, so he is like, um, the Deuteronomist, right? Well, I mean, it, you know, that, that would imply that the, the dossier has been there all along kind of it like okay so maybe not the deuteronomist but maybe like um, whoa we were cleaning out the archives from the you know those crazy obama people i mean manasseh yeah and obama manasseh like hidden you know hid this dossier away in the the archives but we've recovered this and this is going to help you become you know trump josiah i think we've actually just written a really fantastic (laughs) b-level period piece trump josiah Obama, Manasseh. Yeah, we're just gonna go ahead and um, copyright this uh, this screenplay here that we've just written. It might be the best like ten minutes of this podcast we've ever done. Yeah, that's not hard though, right? <laughs> the uh, the 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 Trump anomic history. The th. I don't know. So anyway, so yeah, so so we have the D source, and he's gonna he's going to interview with Josiah's people um, to try to figure out should we cut the high places down or should we leave them up? Or I mean, you know, who who put those Asherahs there? Who knows? It wasn't Josiah, because you know, of course, it wasn't Josiah. Yeah, and and you know, Farrah Nico. I mean, Putin is not going to come into our land. You know, he he likes Trump Josiah. This, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is what you can do if you get a degree in religion. 
<laughs> and Putin Nico. I like that too. That's good. It works on a lot of levels. You it, know, it, it kind of is history repeating itself. It is, right? It, yeah. It's, yeah, okay. But you know what we didn't talk about? I'm going to change subjects completely. Hezekiah. I can't um I can't in good conscience let us end this show without talking about this video that surfaced uh, this um compilation video that surfaced a couple of days ago of Donald Trump and his aversion to glasses of water, coasters and pieces of paper. I'll let you describe this. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Honestly, it's this amazing set of cuts where Trump sits down at a table for a meeting and he pushes glasses of water away. He flings coasters away. He pushes pieces of paper away. But the last clip is the best one because he's sitting there and he's eyeballing the paper. And you just know he's thinking, why are you looking at me like that paper? And he's just waiting and he's thinking and he's kind of, it's kind of building. And then he's like, I can't take it anymore. And he's got to push the paper away. It's just amazing. I wish that we'd had your laughter recorded in the pre-show when you were watching the video for the first time. <laughs> I'm watching again now. The one where he's sitting beside Wayne LaPierre from the NRA. Yes. <laughs> he just like slides. Get your water. With that water near it. Right? So it's like, it's like this weird, um, it's like he's like Mel Gibson. Right? And what is that? Um, <laughs> signs? But he's like the anti-Mel Gibson in Signs. <laughs> the coasters. Like that coaster. That coaster. <laughs> it, is, it is quite possibly the funniest yet weirdest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen a grown person behave like this. It's just and amazing. It, when when LaPierre moves his name tag over... <laughs> Because he sees what Trump's doing, and he's like, what's that, bro? And, <laughs> oh, maybe Trump gave him a head fake, like, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna move this. There you go. <laughs> I want this plate at my funeral. Anyway, we can't make this up, folks. Like, I want a screen at my funeral, and I want that just on a repeat loop. Just on a loop. Because <laughs> it's anti-coaster it's Trump. It's the ultimate sign of dominance, you know? It's like, when I sit down, I make the space for myself. And I don't need this Diet Coke. I don't need this water. Wayne, you can have that. I don't need this uh, this name tag, or this coaster, or that coaster. <laughs> this coaster. <laughs> I'm totally doing this tomorrow at the bank. I mean, we, we have coasters everywhere. So it's, um, so it's not, it's like, uh, it's, it's not man spreading, it's coaster spreading? Yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna sit down and be like, Bloop. Nope, nope. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna clear everything out in front of me, because I don't need I don't need anything in front of me. So that's why you think it. You think it's you think it's just show a dominance. Like oh, nothing yeah. can be in my field, in my uh, force field here in my aura. Totally, totally. It's it's like I don't need to take notes. I don't need anything in front of me because you're all taking notes. You you've got your laptop. You've got your name tag. You've got your your drinks. In front of me is nothing because I have an empty space. Because I don't need to sit here and take notes. I have people behind me that are doing that. That's totally. It's just it's just fascinating. Anyway, you got to watch it. <clears throat> it is. It, you know what? You know what's interesting as we close out, and we should put this at the beginning of the show for the people who've stuck around. I'm sorry. Um, here, here's my moment of truth. When you're in a meeting, a little pro tip: if you walk into a meeting and you don't have a pen, you don't have a piece of paper, or 
especially people like who are too lazy to have a pad folio or something, but they bring up like a legal pad, you know, like the flip over paper. <laughs> too lazy to have a pad folio. I'm just saying, like those are the worst. Like, get a freaking pad folio, or you know, get like a folder. Like, don't don't walk into a meeting with a like a, a notepad. Like like you're on boss. I got a notepad. I'm gonna take some notes. Like, dress it up a little bit if if you're gonna do that. Might we so, suggest some products from This Is Ground? <laughs> I, and I walk in with mine, and half, I don't know, seven-eighths of the time, I don't even unzip mine. I just leave it there on the table. I just walk in, and I don't even unzip. I just put it on the table, and I say, here it is. And I don't, I don't even unzip it and pull it out. I just I leave the the mod there as it, as it is. So when, you, when you're in a meeting like this, any meeting, don't take notes. Look the person in the face, or if you're in a phone call, take notes, whatever. But if it's a people meeting, like don't sit there and, and act like you got to draw boxes on a piece of paper to to feel important. <laughs> you know, like like take charge, and and uh, do do what Trump's doing here, and that's exactly what he's doing. And and don't walk in with like your your yeti and and put it in front of you and and eat ice out of it, or, or you put it in you know. front of that other guy. You you move it over, right? You you might have it in the pre meeting because the pre meeting is much more important than the actual meeting. I mean that's that's when you 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 know that's when you're pissing on trees and you're saying no, this is my. That's territory. when you actually make your decisions, right? <laughs> totally, you're yes. like this guy's a chomp. I'm not this. Yeah, this lady has no idea what she's talking about. Uh, it's the pre meeting that kind of sets everything. So when the meeting starts and you're all like, okay, now it's ten thirty two and Jim's not coming in, so let's go ahead and start the meeting. Nothing in front of you, no pen in your hand. Nothing in front of you. You start the meeting. You 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 you, you roll along. You you might put your hands on the table, kind of cross you know cross your fingers. Talk about the issues, figure it out. Let other people take notes, and then say, well, let, let's write up a notes summary after this. And uh, can you can you share that with the group or, or share that with with Jim, and he'll he'll make the important parts, and um, and we'll go from there. And you and you get up and you walk out like a, like a gentleman or or gentle lady, and that's all you got to do. And all of a sudden, boom! You're your CEO, but don't walk in with a with a yellow legal notepad and you know expect for people to, to take you seriously. And that's what Trump's doing here. But I think it works. I, I, it works. I think you might be right. Uh, actually. I'm totally right. I, I'm I'm totally right. <laughs> like, but it doesn't take away from the hilarity of the of the cut when you watch oh, it. Oh no, 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 no! Because he, you know, but tomorrow if if there's if there's a coaster in front of me, for damn sure I'm going to flip that coaster out of the way and be like. Pfft. <laughs> do your best Jesus slash Trump <laughs> well I was that guy at one time who would get up and get coasters for everybody you know cause no, I, don't be that guy come on I know because I'm like well I'm, I'm the general leader like I gotta I gotta You're never gonna be CEO there, by getting coasters for people yeah let me let me wash your feet with my perfume like that's not gonna get you anywhere I mean what that might get you killed <laughs> that, that'll never got anybody or you <laughs> know call, call me a whore Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it's true. I mean, pro tip, serious, and and don't ever let people put a name tag in front of you, because then people aren't making eye contact with you. They're they're looking at your name tag, or right? With name. no name tag, it's like everybody knows who I am. Exactly, and that's why he moves those a, things out of the way. All right, the last little the last little um, anecdote here. I was, there was an award ceremony a year or so ago that I was invited to being recognized for an award. And um, 
my wife went with me. It was great. It was at the university and had a really great time. We're going in and it was the best time. It was the greatest award. It was, it was absolutely the best. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I have the best awards. And, um, so, so we're going in and they're directing people to go get name tags and stuff. And my wife says, um, he didn't go get a name tag. And I was like, honey, that's the president of the university. He doesn't need a name tag. Pro tip, but I yeah. never get I never get those name tags. That's exactly that right. I never ever do that. And you know what? More often than not, because I have gray hair and I'm a white male, people walk up to me and they're like, Hi, who are you? And I say my name. They're like, Oh, and they remember it. Because they don't have to sit there and look and say, like, Sam. Right. But I, I never, ever, ever, ever get the name tags where you write your name on the thing. Like if there's a name tag prepared, I'll go get it. But then Mariana used to make fun of me because uh, one time she went to a, a conference with me and we had the name tags over pre-printed and all that stuff. I never wore it. I just put it in my coat pocket. And then people were like, wait, what, what, who are you? You know, and it, it became a thing. Yeah. And I realized, wait a minute, like there's this. power in the blood. So you don't, you don't wear the name tag and fit in like a monkey. Like you, 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 you hide that. And you right. people. So you just have to be it. too cool for school. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why the Breakfast Club works on so many levels still. And that is, um, that's the kind of depth, um, the kind of wisdom that you get from us here at Thinking FM. (laughs) It is. So there will be more where that came from next week. Uh, In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Thomas Whitley, same as at Sam Harrelson. You can always find more great podcasts at Thinking.fm. Do you want to hear more of this or should I shut off? You can shut it off.